my name is Lila. I'm on the preaching team here at Midtown, and I'm just really grateful to be here with you this morning. Like Andrew said, we are starting a short little, it's like a, a little mini-series, um, two weeks on uh, exploring uh, encounters that Jesus have, have, ha, has with people around a dinner table and uh, what the meanings behind it. Guess who's coming to dinner? That's what it's called, clever. So I want to begin by just sharing a story. So a while back, my family and I, we were heading out to dinner, and we were, you know, it was one of those days where we're like, we don't want to cook a meal. Let's just go somewhere. We're buckled up. We're in the garage. Kids are in their car seats, and the car's running, and I look over. We're not going anywhere, and I see my husband. He's on his phone just looking up options on Yelp. And all of a sudden, I just feel my heart rate rising, and I'm just getting anxious. And all of a sudden, I blurt out to him, can you please just open the garage door? And he's just like, what? (laughs) I thought we had about 10 seconds before we were going to be, like, killed by carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) I don't know where that idea came from, but I really thought we had seconds before. and And I look back and realize... I was always anxious about that moment when you get into the garage and you close the garage door. Um, And I don't know where that idea got shaped in me. I had a similar experience in college. I, being from Las Vegas, had never really experienced winter. And so I had flown to the Midwest for a student conference in December, and I was walking with another student, a gal from the Midwest, and I was so excited for the snow. And sure enough, it starts snowing one afternoon, and we're walking. And I'm walking, I'm like, oh man, so good. And a huge fleck of snow lands on my shoulder. And I look over and I'm like, (gasps) and I reach to my friend and I'm like, look, it's a miniature snowflake. And she's like, what? (laughs) I thought snowflakes were this big, flat as a pancake, and just fell from the sky because that's what I saw on cartoons. And that's what I cut out in paper. Like, that's what I thought a snowflake was. So here the whole time, I'm like, I hope I see a snowflake. I had no idea. (laughs) It's embarrassing to admit, but I had no idea. Have you ever had one of these, like, facepalm moments? (laughs) There was another funny one that unfolded on Instagram stories. There was a podcaster with kind of a big following, and she had posted that, Someone she knew didn't realize you could drive to Alaska. And so she was like, did, did you all know this? And sure enough, people are responding. They're like, I'm sorry, what? You can drive to Alaska? They thought Alaska was an island because when you look at a map of Alaska, what do you see? It's like cut out next to Hawaii. And my favorite response that had me laughing was this gal who was like, I thought it was a cold, snowy island. (laughs) I think we all have these, like, hilarious, eye-opening moments, probably often embarrassing. And what makes them so funny is, like, you think, how did I go this long without understanding this, right? Well, today, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to get a little glimpse of one of these, like, eye-opening moments And I want to set the context for what's happening, what's happening around this dinner table we're going to see. 
So Jesus has begun his public ministry. It means that he's preaching and healing and raising up followers. And in Matthew chapter 4, he, he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I think for some of us, this word repent, I think it's been weaponized. It's been used to kind of cast judgment, like repent, you know, hi, Re stay with me. <laughs> but the word is a Greek word that Jesus used. It's the word metanoia, metanio, metanio. And it means to change one's mind, to think differently. And Jesus is saying, I want you to reconsider that in me, in Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. It's an invitation. So Jesus is preaching this good news, and he's beginning to raise up followers. This is a common practice for rabbis at the time, and, um, or religious teachers of the day, and it was an honor to be chosen as a disciple of Jesus, or a, a, a disciple of a rabbi. But Jesus does the unexpected. He doesn't go to the synagogue or like the seminary equivalent of where we would think up raising up religious leaders. He goes to the coast. He goes to the fish. He goes to the, he, he finds two burly fishermen, interrupts them during their catch of the day, and just says, follow me. He finds two guys in the fishing boat with their dad. He's like, you guys, follow me. And they say yes. They leave everything, and they follow him. And so together, Jesus and his followers travel throughout the area, and they're meeting everyday people, ordinary people who are just struggling. They're hurting. And wherever Jesus is, the reality of the kingdom of heaven is there with him. And he's healing broken people and helping them flourish. All of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus sees Matthew. It says, and Jesus went on from there. He had been healing someone. And he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, I don't know about you. I picture like Lucy from the Peanuts cartoon in her little psychiatrist booth, like the tax collector's in. Um, but, but here's what I know. Matthew's a tax collector. And he's got some, there's this, some kind of station or kiosk or booth that's set up right on the highway. And he's collecting taxes for the Roman government. And these are taxes on imported goods, goods that are being brought back in by his community to be resold. They're farmers and merchants and, and his, his um, local neighbors. So you've got to imagine... What's life like for Matthew? You're well off. You've got, you've, got, you've got the funds to live well. But your whole community thinks you're a traitor because you're working for the Roman government, collect, taking their money. And on top of that, as was common, 
you're skimming off the top. So your riches are off of their backs. They've got pretty good reason to hate you. And while his whole community despises him, Matthew's exactly who Jesus wants to be with. And what happens next? Matthew says yes to following Jesus, and he throws a dinner party. Next slide, it says Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's home, and many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. Matthew invites Jesus and his new crew to his home for this meal, and his house just starts filling up with his old friends, tax collectors, and, and people just called sinners. These are people who are the outcasts of this deeply religious society. And these are the folks that just don't measure up to the religious codes. And together with Jesus and over a meal, there's a weaving of these two worlds. You know when you go to a restaurant and there's just this group in the back that is just like having the time of their life and they're loud and they're laughing and there's just like joy emanating among them. And you're kind of like, sometimes I'm a little bit like, keep it down. We're not here to have her. Or you're like, I kind of wish I got to taste that kind of joy, right? That's what I picture happening in Matthew's home. It is, they're just enjoying each other's company. They're, they're, enjoying fellowship and as i think about this dinner party there's just a couple of mutually beautiful things that i observe i love that jesus sees and receives matthew's raggedy community of outcasts with the same sense of worthiness as he does matthew but i also see that matthew invites jesus into his world, like as is. Meaning he's not pretending to be someone he's not. He's not, um, you know, like cleaning up his house or cleaning up the guest list. He's just like, yes, Jesus, come into my home, come into my community. He's able to integrate his experience with Jesus into his everyday life. I think it can be really tempting to just commute into Jesus' world rather than to trust Jesus into ours. We can find ourselves struggling to authentically integrate our spiritual lives with our everyday lives. Or I don't know about you, figuring out how to do it without feeling awkward or weird. Or we think we need to clean our lives up we need to clean our reputations, our company, our guest list before we can really let Jesus into who we are. I want to share, like, I know that um, Emotionally Focused, we've been talking about it, it's a retreat coming up, and I participated, it, participated in it in March. And I want to share a way that I have kind of felt, feel like God has given me a little bit of breakthrough in the ways that I have perceived this, like, experience this challenge of integration. Um, I grew up as someone who, I, I just grew up in a, um, I grew up highly criticized by the authority figures in my life. 
And I hadn't realized that in subtle ways, I had projected that expectation onto God. When I imagined, like, I knew God loved me, but I always felt like God always just wanted more from me. Like, be better, do better. Like, kind of always analyzing and looking to see, like, what are the ways you need to just be more? And it's been helpful that retreat, the space at that retreat helped me um, recognize the ways that those experiences shaped the way that I approached or saw God. Honestly, I had a really hard time associating God's presence with joy. But that's not what we see happening at Matthew's house. We don't see Jesus coming in with that, like, let me see if the dust is here, looking at the, the, um, the crowd and just like, ooh, I like what you said earlier, diamonds in the rough, right? Um, Jesus is fully present, and he enters just with full compassion. But you know who we do see criticizing and judging in this passage? It's the religious leaders. It's the Pharisees. This dinner party confuses them. Why would Jesus associate with immoral people? In the next slide, there's a, um, in verse, we pick, verse 11, we pick up. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, this dinner party at Matthew's home, they asked Jesus' followers, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what does it mean to desire mercy and not sacrifice? I love how one commentary author summarized it. He said, Jesus is quoting the, the prophet Hosea who centuries earlier had condemned the Jewish people for attempting to excuse their idolatry and oppression of the poor by offering prescribed animals as sacrifices. This was completely outside the understanding that the Pharisees had about who God is and what God truly wants. The Pharisees are so fixated on being right that they've disengaged their hearts from what matters to God, relationships. Their lack of humility blinds them from seeing Jesus and others who are different from them with compassion and curiosity. And I think we do this today. We find ourselves judging those who believe or behave differently than us, whose customs or cultures feel unfamiliar to us, whose attitudes or values or personalities are just a struggle to be around. Um, who is that for you? For me, um, it's been my neighbor. <laughs> We moved into our neighborhood, and I, I, we held this desire in our heart to, to be a light in our, and a blessing in our neighborhood. And I would say, like, yes, I want to love our neighbor. Like, love God, love your neighbor. We should be able to do that, right? 
And I do love a lot of my neighbors, but I have one neighbor that is very hard, um, that has been a very difficult, um, like, it's been very hard to love one of my neighbors, to be totally honest. And I'm almost embarrassed to say why. But one of the main reasons that kind of has made it really hard for me to see them wholly, in, in total as a whole person, is that they have um, more cars than they have parking spots, right? I told you I'm really embarrassed to say this. And so what ends up happening is cars end up all over their driveway, sometimes in their lawn, and then down in front of our house. And it didn't bother me for a long time because we had one spot and we parked our car in front of it and they parked their cars and it was fine. But I always thought about it. And, um, and then we sold that car and then now all of the spots often will, were getting taken up by our neighbor's cars. And um, I stopped seeing them as my neighbor. And I started seeing them as my problem. And the worst was, I was talking with my other neighbor who's become a good friend, and I was telling her about this. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. This is really bugging me. And our, our kids are playing, and she and I are talking, and I'm just like, you know, it's just, it's just all in front of our house. You know, and I'm explaining the situation, and my six-year-old overhears us, and he's, he just kind of stops playing. He interrupts, and he comes in, and he's like, oh, we don't like them. And I'm just like, no, like slow motion, like, no. But that, he didn't come up with that impression on his own. The way that I was holding my neighbors communicated that we don't love our neighbor. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing like the pure honesty of a child to like just bring conviction into your heart. And I'd like to think, the crazy thing is, is that I think of myself as someone who carries this vision to be a light and blessing in our neighborhood. And I think of myself as someone who wants to love my neighbor. And there are many of my neighbors that I love because it's easy to love them. And as this happened a while ago, a, few, a month ago or so, and, and as I, it really has, it was like a stopgap into that way of thinking. And I began to ask the question, like, why am I bothered by this? And then I actually stepped back and was like, what if this isn't even about me? What might be going on in my neighbor's life? What might be happening? Who is my neighbor? And really stepping into seeing them as whole people, as a family, a multi-generational family that just lost their dad. And being able to ask questions about, um, like, what does it look like to love them in my heart? So that my son isn't like, oh, we don't like them, but actually, oh, we, we care about them. And I do think that God is changing the way that I um, see my neighbors. And to be honest, that's like one example of many other relationships in my life that, that I, um, I can approach in the same way. I think that it can be hard to love our neighbor because we need that heart transformation from God to be able to do that. Um, 
I think the trouble with being a Pharisee is that you think you're getting it right. So much so that you can't even see the ways that you're sick and need help. Like the Pharisees, Jesus wants us to go and learn a new way of being. To be authentically curious and humble and honest about the ways that we need God's mercy and love. And Jesus knows this is not found in a checklist, but it's found in a transformation of the heart. And I'd like to just like wrap up by giving us a little bit of space to reflect on that very thing. To give us a chance to consider, like, who am I just struggling to maybe not even love, but to see? Who is someone who is different than me that is just, um, that I need God's mercy to really know how to lean in and love them well? And maybe this is a specific person, like we're approaching holiday season, we're going to be around a lot of families, some of us, and maybe it's a family member that you just think very differently from, or maybe it's a coworker that just agitates you for some reason, or maybe it's um, your neighbor. Or maybe it's a type of person that you've just struggled to understand. But I want to offer us a, I want to close by offering us like a tangible reminder to go into this next holiday season where we're going to be around a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And um, Paul's going to pass around this basket. And in the basket is a little tea light. And I want to give you, I want to close by giving you a couple minutes to just reflect like, who is someone that God might be inviting you to see and um, love differently? And, um, and I'd like this tea light to be a reminder of two things. One, I'd like this to be a tangible reminder of the invitation God offers us to heal our hearts in ways that keep us from being able to love others. And I'd like to actually invite you to think of someone specific that you can think of that you're like, I really want to love this person or at least see this person with God's eyes. And, and when you see this light, to be able to kind of, um, to think of that person and this is an invitation of like, God's the one who gives you the mercy to be able to do that. But I also hope this light is a reminder of Christ's light in our own lives. That as we go into the holiday season, that, um, that it's the that God is with us and God wants to transform our hearts and fill us with joy and enable us to truly love God and love others. So I want to give us a minute and actually invite you to think of someone or um, a people group or um, someone that God is inviting you to draw near towards in the way that you hold them in, our, in your heart. And when you think of them to turn it on, and, and then I invite you to let this be like something that you can put in your car if, you're, if it's someone at your workplace that you drive to or on your desk or on your um, mantle as a way just to remind you God is with you and God is the one who brings heart transformation to help you love God and love others well. Let me pray for that.
God, thank you that you enter into Matthew's home and his community just without judgment, but with full hope, knowing that you are the light of the world. And it is through you that we're able to see the ways that we are struggling. It is through you we're able to see the ways that we are broken and that we need your help. Um, but God, also that your light in our lives empowers us to do likewise. And your light in our lives empowers us to be a light in someone else's life. And so God, it's not easy, and I don't even think it's meant to be easy, because we wouldn't need you if it was. Um, but God, would you free us from the ways that, we, that hinder us or limit us from seeing the people in our lives that you have placed us around um, and break down the barriers that keep us from seeing um, the mercy that you have to offer in order to love someone well. And God, thank you that you are not like the Pharisees and that you are not um, criticizing and distancing and, and just looking at us with like all the ways that we are messing up, but you enter in so that you can heal, so that you can redeem that which is broken. And would you do so today and would you do so as we step into the next couple months of holidays and help us to see with new eyes, both you and to see each other and ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.